Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. Amen. Well, you can probably hear it in my voice that I've got a chest cold. It is not COVID. If that's still a thing, I don't know. But I'm going to preach myself voiceless today and pretend like it's not a thing. So we'll just go for it, all right? Um, This is our eighth week, or ninth week, actually, in our study of the Old Testament book called Joshua. Once again, why Joshua? Because we are on mission. Not the conquest of a physical land in order to take it over but to make disciples of all nations. And so you see that blessing of the Congolese congregation is all very fitting. This is our task. Make disciples of all people, beginning with those closest to us. That is how the gospel travels through social networks, people that we already know. It's how it it actually uh, passes best or most successfully and we can disagree on many things there are many minor points of doctrine but we cannot disagree on this one thing that we are to be disciples and as disciples we are to raise up a new generation of believers pass the torch and get out of the way we are always supposed to be preparing not only the people but the place and hand the keys over to them And we see this beautifully reflected in this Old Testament book of Joshua. Now, Joshua's conquest of Canaan, to give you a little context, it's sandwiched between two other chapters of Israel's history. The first chapter on one end is the Exodus. And we learn about the Exodus of the Jews in uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that's on one side, and that's the side where We see a faithless generation of Jews did not trust God and did not obey God and they fell in the desert. That's one side. The other side is the days of the judges. And three times in the book of Judges, it says that the people did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And so you have two just terrible seasons of the people of Israel. And you see the failings of the people, a lack of faith in an independent spirit. A a lot like many believers and even entire churches, we can actually fall into these behaviors. But smack dab in the middle is one of the brightest seasons of Israel's history. Joshua is a bright spot of faith and obedience. And so long as they honored and obeyed Yahweh God, he would go with them. He would bless them. He would work in and through and for them. And for the most part, they succeeded. But even the very best of the best seasons or chapters in Israel's history. And even one of the best leaders, Joshua himself, were not without error. They were not without 
making mistakes. They are, were people like ourselves, people with feet of clay. In fact, last week we opened up chapter 7 and we read these words. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. What happened? It says that the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So I want you to just think about that for a moment. The best of the best, the healthiest season in Israel's history, and they were still flawed. They were still disobedient. This kind of stuff happened. 36 good men died. The nation was defeated and demoralized by a little town called Ai, all because of one man's hidden sin and the spiritual negligence of the leadership. And because of that, it says that the hearts of the people melted and became as water. A great day with great miracles and a great blessing of God, and yet they messed up like we mess up. And they suffered a season of great demoralization and discouragement. Well, Joshua did what needed to be done, and it's gruesome. The man, Achan, whose name means troubler, was put to death. If you think about it, his hidden sin got 36 good men killed, and they lost what would be a very simple battle, the battle of Ai. And so they took care of things, and Achan's body ends up under a pile of rock. But at least they made it right according to what God said to do. They followed through on the difficult work of repentance. Did what needed to be done. However, my gut tells me that the entire nation and Joshua himself are still reeling with an overwhelming sense of failure. You ever been there? You ever have those days or those moments where you said something you shouldn't have said? You looked at something you shouldn't have looked at? You disregarded a warning. Maybe this is way back in your life. Do not pass go. I love you too much, God says. And you said, well, we'll see about that. And yet that has left a mark on your story. You didn't follow through on a commitment. Perhaps, and this can be actually uh, real, or a metaphor, you didn't do your homework. And because of that, and this could be morally or in real life, you just didn't apply yourself. You should have, you're a man or woman of God. But you didn't do your homework, and because of that, you failed the test. You lost the deal. You fumbled the ball, and what happens? I don't know, but if you're like me, and I'm a very positive very resilient personality, but I have something called a shame storm. You ever struggle with a shame storm? Maybe you're even ashamed about the shame storm. And you sit there quietly and you go, I don't want to talk to the, about this in staff meeting. I don't want to talk about this with my wife or husband. I don't want to talk about this with my accountability partners. I'm overwhelmed with how stupid I was. And our lives begin to close down and close off from one another because of shame. 
I will bet you that that is what Joshua and the people are feeling. I'll tell you just a quick story. I'm in college and I get back from a mission trip and the college ministry at my local church gives me the platform, says, hey, why don't you teach Sunday school today? I think I had 35 or 40 minutes. I was out of material in seven. You say, you? Yeah, me. Yeah, I was done. And all I can tell you is that I looked for a rock to hide under, like that was weird. And, and I had this thought, hey, Jim Roden, whatever you do in life, make sure it does not involve public speaking. Yeah, here's the question. How do you get up after those kinds of failures? How do you rebound from that kind of shame? And the answer is found, I believe, in Joshua chapter 8. I'm going to actually read chapter 8, verses 1 through 29. We're going to stop there and we're going to go back through it. A few things that I, I want to highlight. Then we're going to finish at the end, God willing, if I have a voice left, with verses 30 through 35. So if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, we're reading. And Kyle Peart, could you bring me my hot tea right there? Yeah, I think I need it too. Uh. <coughs> so starting in verse 1, Timmy asked me, are you going to cough today, Dad? Yeah, probably. <clears throat> Here it says, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and be not dismayed. Remember, they're rolling right out of the failure and brutal consequences of the bat first battle of Ai. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Jericho, they weren't allowed to touch anything, remember? Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us just before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, quote, they are fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. We're going to come back to that. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai, but Joshua spent the night among the people. Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped, encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set the ambush in between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. 
And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place, toward the Arabah, to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush, ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out your javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that. For the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up. Then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was left not, none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. Now when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000. All the people of Ai. I just need to remind you, two weeks ago, Pastor Tyler dealt with the, the just grisly nature of this. I touched on it last week, and for that reason, you need to go back in order to understand what is going on here. It is not genocide. These people had opportunity after opportunity to stop their sin, their idolatry, the murder of their own children to their false gods. They had time to repent. They had time to flee from Ai and Canaan and become Jews, as it were. But they had not, and so judgment had come. Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins, as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. I want you to remember the momentum of God moving in and through and for Israel had come to a screeching and startling halt because of one man's sin. And one leader's commitment to mo military momentum 
they didn't hit pause. That's so important as we understand the book of Joshua. The momentum had come to a screeching halt. The pain, the failure, the shame storm. They had done what they needed to to make it right. But they're still feeling overwhelmed with feelings of disgrace and defeat. And it's into this experience that the God of second chances says these words. At the very beginning of chapter 8, the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Isn't he good? The two words in the Hebrew, Yahre, is fear, and Kaufath is dismayed, and it literally means shattered or broken. And why would God have to say, do not be Yahre, do not be Kaufath? Because that's exactly where they were emotionally. And it's into this moment that he says, stop. Stop. God was not done working in, through, and for them. They repented. They confessed. They took care of business. Achan's sin had been dealt with. So God says, do not Yahweh. Do not Kalthath. And I want you to understand this is Jesus' message to us as well. It was Jesus that said, I've said these things that in this world you may have peace, in this world you will have tribulation. Some of those are self-inflicted. It's not just this amazing godly persecution that we get from the outside. It's things that we do to ourselves at times. We forget that part. You're not going to have a perfect run. You're going to shoot yourself in the foot, sometimes in the guts, metaphorically speaking. Take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Even including your mistakes, your flaws, your discretions, your sin. Jesus has overcome. Yes, you failed miserably, so have I. Hopefully you've done what you need to do to confess it, to repent of it. To make restitution for your failings, misgivings, and sin. And in the midst of that, Jesus sees and he says, Take heart, I've overcome the world. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. It brings us to the bottom line of our message today, which is this. Yesterday's failures don't nullify new mercies. Do you believe that? This is the source of our resilience Spiritual resilience, physical resilience, emotional resilience. Because we understand that our God is the God of new beginnings, the God of second chances. Motivational speaker, Dr. Willie Jolie, he's the one that said, our setbacks are a setup for a comeback. Okay, and I will say, yes, so long as, so long as the Lord is at the center the God of second chances. In fact, this is Psalm 37. Psalm 37 says this in verse 23, 24. 
The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Now check this out. Though he fall, and there's all kinds of ways we can fall. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. Why? Because the Lord upholds his hands. We read in Lamentations chapter 3, and if you know where that fits in the canon, Lamentations is a small book by Isaiah, who is also nicknamed the weeping prophet. And Lamentations is written upon the fall of Jerusalem. It's a terrible day of judgment. And yet this is what Isaiah would say in, or it's actually Jeremiah, so sorry. Jeremiah says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And what's the takeaway? The takeaway is this, so long as I own my stuff, so long as I confess, which means to say the same thing, Stop excusing failure and sin. Stop trying to hide it. Stop trying to recategorize it as an oopsie or everyone does that. Confess it. Say the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. Take ownership. <clears throat> Do what you can to make restitution. That's the part that's often left out of apologies. After you say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Actually, before you say, will you forgive me, say this, how can I make this right? Because that's called restitution. And once you've done that, you still might feel terrible. I had not one but two shame storms this week. Things that I just, I don't like how it went. I don't like what I said. I don't like what someone reflected back to me about how I came across I didn't like it. How do you get up the next day and try again? Go back into that relationship with love and joy and compassion. It comes through repentance. It comes through confession. And then from hearing the words of God to our hearts, do not fear and be not dismayed. F.W. Robertson was an English preacher. He said this, Life like war is a series of mistakes. And he is not the best Christian nor the best general who makes the fewest false steps. Poor mediocrity may secure that. But he is the best who wins the most splendid victories by the retrieval of mistakes. Forget mistakes. Organize victory out of mistakes. And here's the promise. When Jesus is center, when he's the Lord of our lives, when God is the center and we do our part of repentance, we can't guarantee what success will look like, but we have a God who is the God of second chances. And his new mercies are new every morning. So yesterday's failures cannot, will not, must not, do not nullify new mercies. Well, what, how, where do we go from here? Because that's found in the rest of the text. If every day is a day of new mercies, 
what can we do in order to best ensure we don't end up back in Joshua chapter 7? With another misstep, with another set of mistakes, with another set of sins, hidden or otherwise. And I will tell you, it's found not only in the mood, but in the very lines of Joshua chapter 8. What can I do to make good? What can we do to make good on new mercies? You ready for these? There's three of them. See them in your outline. First off, hear the word before waging war. Hear the word before waging war. We love, love that God seemed to speak directly to Joshua. Wouldn't that be cool? It is cool. We have more than Joshua ever had. A complete canon, 66 books in a collection we call the Bible. 39 pieces of literature we call the Old Testament. 27 we call the New Testament. We have more revelation than Joshua ever had. In fact, the reason why God needed to speak it directly to him, audible voice or in his mind, I don't know. But the reason is because he only had the five books of Moses. We have over 31,000 verses to go on. Begin there. Each day with the word of God. Each moment with the word of God. I want to take you back. Look at verse 1 and 2. The Lord said to Joshua. The Lord says stuff to us all the time. Are we listening? Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. And then some very specific instructions. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai. Last time, he listened to his scouts and said, oh, two or three thousand will do the job. And Joshua never consulted the Lord. And it brought about a great defeat and shame. But now God is saying, don't do it that way. You should have asked me the first time. Here's what you do. Take all the fighting men with you. Rise up, go up to Ai. See, I've given uh, it into your hand and the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. You shall do. He's given them specific instructions. And Joshua is hearing it. Do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. And this time you can have the spoil and the livestock lay an ambush against the city behind it. God even told him not even the what, but the how. Very specific instructions. Remember the primary flaw in chapter 7. Yes, it was Achan broke faith. Achan took something dedicated to destruction with a very clear warning that if any one person did that, they were going to bring God's wrath against the whole community. And Achan still did it anyway. A secondary problem was Joshua's lack of prayerfulness. Joshua's listened to his scouts instead of testing that out against the word of the Lord. So the idea, hear the word 
God's word, not just the opinions of man. The -the run-of-the-mill horse sense. Many times common sense is exactly what you need to do. But I would argue that even in common sense, constantly seek the word of the Lord. Test the common sense of the day against the spirit and doctrine of the scriptures. Don't just take it, hey, I was successful in business. This is how you run an organization. No, you got to test that kind of leadership against God's kind of leadership. Always go back to the word before waging war. Listen to the power of the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and tensions of the heart. And common sense cannot do that for us. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. This reminds me of Genesis chapter 2, that the word of God says that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And now in the New Testament, the breath of life The living word is that which gives us life and animates our spirits. All scripture is God-breathed. We see in Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, just before uh, the conquest of Canaan, and then these words quoted by Jesus in the wilderness temptation, man does not live by bread alone. Not by that food substance that gives you energy to do things physically. You don't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. How many of us actually live that way? I want the whole Bible. I want to know it. I might not understand it all, but I read it. Even the difficult parts. I've not only been through the Bible several times, but I'm asking the Bible to go through me. That's what we're after. Hear the word before waging war. This is repeated from Joshua chapter 1. When God said, be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to, to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right hand or the left that you may have good success wherever you go. (coughs) He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do. We can't do if we're not reading and thinking and knowing the word of God. So meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Hear the word before waging war. But if you heard in that last scripture from Joshua chapter 1, it's not just hearing. I would argue that true hearing is accompanied by obedient doing. And I would also argue that I cannot guarantee that if I do enough of God's commandments that I'm some how going to get the vision of success that I'm imagining. 
I don't know what success looks like for sure. But I can guarantee this, that while I am living this life and doing what God has given me to do, I can do it his way. So this brings us to our second subpoint: pursue obedience, not outcomes. Pursue obedience. Don't just hear it, but meticulously follow it, even when it's hard, even when you don't want to, even when you're scared, but you say, yes, Lord, I hear and obey. And you get up, no matter what you're feeling, and you say, I'm going to do it right. I can't tell you how many times I've had meetings as the lead pastor of this church, conflict meetings, evaluation meetings, Meetings that are just hard, where I know someone's going to be in tears. And faced with this idea that I could maybe kick the can down the road. I could sweep it under the rug. I could leave it for someone else to deal with. But the scriptures say that a, a, a man or a woman of God is bold as a lion, but the unrighteous flee when no one's pursuing and so many other scriptures that I go, this is my responsibility. Not everything all the time, all at once, but I've had to lead into some very, very, very difficult meetings. One time I had to let go one of my very best friends from a job position. But I knew that I had to do it. And putting it off for another month was just going to make it even worse. So, we pursue obedience. We don't know how it's going to come out. In fact, it might, in the short run, make things worse. And that's not my concern. I, my, my desire can be a certain outcome, but it can't be my goal. My goal is to honor Christ in all things. Our goal is to honor Christ in all things. And to hear the word and to do the word sometimes is very difficult. Look what they had to do to AI. That was gruesome. But it was the word of the Lord that they had to meticulously follow. And we see it again and again in chapter 8, verse 8, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 3. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose and to go up to Ai, they actually did it. And then in verse 8, Joshua is, is indicating that the instructions on how they were going to do the battle were directly from the Lord. When he says, you shall do according to the word of the Lord, see, I have commanded you. I am passing it along faithfully, and we need to be meticulous in how we obey what the Lord has revealed. <coughs> Verse 18, we see the Lord speaking again. The Lord said, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. This is a, a parallel to what God told Moses to do when Joshua was down on the, the battlefield in the, the book of, I believe, Numbers. And now God is saying, you are the new Moses. Stretch out your hand with the javelin. And do not let it down. 
So it says, Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. Uh, Several verses later, it says that Joshua did not draw back his hand. He was probably very tired, as was Moses, when his arm started to fall. But Joshua gutted it out, held the javelin up, until he had devoted all of the inhabitants of Ai to destruction, and so on and so forth. And what we see again and again in this chapter, in this chapter, hedged in by two chapters where he did not do all that the Lord said to do. But at least in this chapter, we see Joshua and the people making good on new mercies. Because they heard the word before going to war. And secondly, they were pursuing obedience versus outcomes. There's one more thing, and it's the part of the text we didn't see yet. Last five verses say this. (coughs) Or six. Very interesting thing he does on the heels of success in AI. Very different than what he did on the heels of success in Jericho that led to defeat. Look what he does here. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. That's 30 miles away from AI. So they're going on a 30-mile spiritual field trip. Verse 31, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, quote, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron, iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the Lord, uh, in the presence of the people, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written, In all Israel, sojourner, as well as native-born, with elders and officers and their judges. So I want you to just note this. There are sojourners that have jumped ship from other nations to be with Israel. It is a mixed multitude demonstrating that what they were doing in Ai, in Jericho, was not genocide. Many people had joined the ranks of Israel at this point, and they're all brought on this field trip. It says, all Israel, they stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterwards, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. It's a very strange military strategy. When you're there to actually conquer the land... But instead, you're going to hit pause and go on a spiritual road trip. Why? Because as the last point, he was meticulously carrying out the commandment of God through God's servant Moses. Says it two times in that text. 
And if you want this just for your notes and context, Deuteronomy 11, 29, I'll read this one. The bigger explanation is found in Deuteronomy 27. I'm not going to read that. But in, in Deuteronomy 11:29, it said, Moses said, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. And then in chapter 27, there's detailed instructions on what they're supposed to do. And what we discover is in this place, and geographers tell us that on tops of these mountains, you can see all the land of Canaan. It's in a kind of geographical center. Not the exact center, but you can see all the land from these places. Two mountains side by side. That they are to go there, and they're supposed to first write out the law of Moses on plastered stones as a memorial. Next, they're supposed to build an altar and sacrifice peace offerings on that altar. And in Deuteronomy 27, we're told that they are to act out a very dramatic religious ceremony. Half of the tribes are going to stand at the base of one of these hills, and the other half of the tribes at the other. The priests and the Levites, Levites are going to proclaim the curses that will come for disobedience. And after each curse, the tribes that are at the base of that mountain will, will cry out, Amen, or let it be so. We are signing up for if we break faith again, we deserve these curses. And on the other tribes, the blessings in an affirmation of yes, obedience will lead to flourishing. And so what is Joshua doing? Joshua is keeping the word of God. But there's another thing that's going on here. Why does God want this done? And my guess is, if I could just give you a fill-in-the-blank, fresh dedication must follow new mercies. Fresh dedication must follow new mercies. Three reasons why this is so important at this juncture. One, the danger of too much momentum. People that are moving fast, juggling plates, working themselves silly, often miss the work and the voice and the leading of God. I want you to think about Jesus. He was never in a hurry, but he was never late and always on time. This is the God that we follow, this is the way of the Master. And when we're after success, after success, after business, after business, after task, after task, we move too quickly. And we can just bulldoze. We can bulldoze God's voice. We can bulldoze the people that we love. There's a danger of too much momentum, and you see this throughout Joshua. When they get it right, there's always a stop, a consecrate, a circumcise. A Passover, 
a feast of unleavened bread, and then they go to battle. And then they stop again. Too much momentum. Secondly is the danger of too much success. The only thing more dangerous to the the human soul than too much failure, which leads to discouragement and depression. The only thing more dangerous than that is too much success leading to arrogance and hubris. So when we have great successes individually or collectively, that's when we need to stop and have a prayer meeting and take communion and quiet ourselves. Not before only, but after. So we don't get the impression that we, by our power and strength, have done these things, but we're returning to center. And then finally, the danger of compartmentalized faith. And I think that this is a word picture. All of the Jews in the center of the land, all of them involved, all of them acting out this drama is a picture of living together in unison, in unity, in all aspects and components of our lives brought under the lordship of Christ. Not piecemealing it, I'm going to go do these things and pray a little bit here and there, but my whole life is dedicated My whole family, my whole church is fully dedicated in the center of life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Fresh dedication must follow new mercies. Let me ask you, when is the last time that you remembered, that you reflected, that you worshiped, that you sacrificed, that you rededicated not just part of your life, but all of yourself, your household, your marriage, your finances, your career, all of it in the center. Life is like war. It's a series of mistakes. He is not the best Christian nor the best general who makes fewest false steps. Poor mediocrity may secure that. But he is the best who wins the most splendid victories by the retrieval of mistakes. We're going to have mistakes. Forget mistakes. Let's look to the God of second chances, the God of new mercies. And let's make good on those new mercies, Journey Church. Hear the word before waging war. Pursue obedience, not outcomes. And remember that fresh dedication must follow new mercies. You ready for this? Lord God, we want to fully yield and dedicate our lives. Our names, our reputation, our income, our wealth, our savings, our assets, our resources, our marriages, or lack thereof, our singleness, our children, our grandchildren, their health. Um, Lord, Our name, our reputation, maybe I already said that, but I keep coming back to that, Lord. Our legacy, Lord, all these things are in your hands. We cannot guarantee how the story turns out. We can do this, though. We can honor you, obey you, give you honor and glory and praise and worship all of our days. And Lord, leave the results to you. And so we do that individually. We do that collectively as Journey Church. This is your church. Have your own way, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.